All right, it's good to see you all. Um, There's some new faces. I want to introduce myself. My name is Ronnie. Uh, I've been coming here, I guess, about seven or eight years now. Uh, it's always a privilege and a joy to come and work with you guys. Um, and so tonight we are going to um, get away from what we, we have been talking about, Jesus in the Old Testament. We'll get back to that on Friday. I'll be back with you all Friday. So we'll get back to that on Friday. We're going to do the um, Isaac gets a bride. So if you want to read ahead this week some and reading in Genesis, I think it's 21. We'll be talking about Isaac and him getting a wife and seeing Jesus through that story. But tonight, I do want to go back to a topic that we talked about a couple weeks ago. We're going to talk about our will and our free will. And so I want to ask all of you in this room today, I'm not going to do like it was done to me when I was a kid. Every head bowed and every eye closed. That's how we did it at our church. And then he said, is there anybody in the room that really feels like that God wants to save them? Will you raise your hand? And they'd raise their hand. And the preacher would say, yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. And then they would play just as I am 36 times until somebody got up and came down the aisle and gave their life to Jesus, right? I, I don't know if any of y'all have grown up in that environment, but that's the way it is in a lot of Protestant churches. And so what has happened over the last 200, 150 years is there has been really a focus on man's will, and our focus has gotten off of God's will. Amen. And that, there's a problem in that. And so I want to ask you guys today, why are you saved? I'm not going to ask you to answer me uh, individually, but I want you to think about that right this second. Why are you saved? All right. So a lot of people say, well, I know I needed Christ. Right. And so you say, well, how do you know that you needed Christ? And for those of you in this room, just like me, we all have stories where um, God in his amazing grace has reached down into a busted and broken world and saved a busted broken man or woman right you can tell me all of us in here have horror stories of the life that we've lived and the reality is is that god in his providence allowed you to hit rock bottom because as long as you were dependent on you you were not going to depend on him so what god has had to do in your life and in my life is show me and you and adam and every human being that's ever lived what we get when we depend upon ourselves he turns us over to ourselves. And when we finally get to rock bottom, what rock bottom means is I don't have anything to offer. Right? Grace is an unmerited gift. So Jesus is not looking for you to give him your heart. Jesus is searching for his people and he will give them a new heart. There's a big difference in you giving your old dirty heart to God. Or God giving you a new heart. What did David say in the psalm? Create in me a new, a clean heart, a new heart, O oh God. Right? Renew a right spirit within me. And so a lot of people say, well, I knew I needed Jesus. Well, how did you, how did you know you needed Jesus? Well, the preacher was preaching about hell and I didn't want to go to hell. So I went down the aisle. Right? And a lot of people have gotten saved running away from hell instead of running to Jesus. And what we'll realize, if you go and you read the story, the whole entire story from Genesis to Revelation, what you'll realize is that it's always God that seeks man. Man never seeks God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and realized they had sinned, what did they do? They ran and they hid themselves and they tried to cover their nakedness, their insufficiencies with the bushes. Right? And God came and said, Adam, where are you? And when you read the entire, read the story of the history of the nation of Israel, 
It is God that constantly reaches out to them. They're constantly running from Him, and He is constantly reaching out to them. And that's what God's grace is all about. It's about Him reaching out to you. I think I can answer your question, Ronnie. I think I'm saved because it's God's will. Amen. So, when when somebody asks you for now, why are you saved? I don't want you to think about rock bottom. I don't want you to think about your old life as an addict. I don't want you to think about all of the things that got you into this seat in here. I want you to think like the Bible teaches us to think. But God, who is rich in mercy, even when I was dead in my trespass and sin, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. The answer is, why am I saved? Because God saved me. You see? Now, who am I depending on then? God. God. All right. So think about that. Think about that time when you went down the aisle and gave your life to Jesus. What made you different than the guy that never got saved that was sitting in that same crowd with you? A willingness. That's exactly right. But, right? Right? Your willingness. But the reality is, and what the Bible teaches is, that unless God opens your ears to hear the promises of God... You will never be willing. So even when, Tony, we say, well, I was willing to come down, it's because God was at work in your heart drawing you to Him. You responded to His will. The reason you were willing is because you responded to His will. Now, I want you to think about this, and then we'll get into the text, and we'll talk. I'm going to pass out a handout for you guys. But I want you to think about this. Have you ever noticed people are definitely defensive of their free will? Well, I got free will. I chose. But how about addicts? That same addict that will claim that he has free will over his soul and his eternal life will say that he didn't have free will when it came to his addiction. He was a slave to drugs. Right? Have you ever thought about that? I didn't have a choice. I was hooked. I couldn't do it. Well, the reality is, is that your will gets you death. That's what it taught us in the Bible. That's what Adam and Eve's will got them. The wages of sin is death. When they turned away from God, all they found was death. And death is a serious thing. Right? Nobody's talking about free will at a funeral. And it's at times of funerals, it's at times when our loved ones are laying in a hospital bed with tubes in them and doctors that don't have answers. It is at those times that we realize what our human ability gives us. Nothing. It is God who saves. It is God who heals. Yes, ma'am? Why doesn't He put it in everybody? That's a great question. That's a great question. And that can be answered in Romans 9. The Bible teaches us that uh, who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Shall the potter, shall the clay say to the potter, "Why did you make me like this?" All right. And so, the, I really do want to get into text. I'm going to try to answer that for you. Why does God not just put that will to choose Him in everybody? Well, He didn't put it in the devil, did He? The devil is never going to change His will. He's going to constantly be in rebellion to God. But. God is going to use all of the devil's evil one day for our good and his glory. Amen. So what? here's what happens. In Romans 9, Paul puts it this way, that God has created vessels for mercy and vessels for wrath. Right. Who are those vessels for mercy and who are those vessels for wrath? I do not know. 
God's the creator. He's the one that creates them. And I don't have an ability to look in your heart and see whether there's mercy or wrath there. But the reality is on the final judgment day, all of those who are, he says, uh, enter into the kingdom that I've prepared for you. When he says that, there's not a single one of them going to be able to brag. Every person that is going to step into the eternal new heaven and new earth is going to be be able to, all they're going to be able to say is, it's only the mercy of God that got me here. There's not going to be any bragging or anything. And the reality is this. God is going to show how merciful He is with those who are safe. But God is also going to show how just He is with those who are down. God cannot let anybody get by with sin. He can't. Nobody gets away with it. And when Jesus died on the cross, He died to save a people for Himself. Who are those people? I do not know. They're the ones that are going to hear His voice and come when He calls. And if you're in this room today and you are a believer, if you have a a heart to believe Him, it is because He gave it to you. It was His will to save you. It was His will to pull you out of that world that you were dying in and give you eternal life. And what's so beautiful about that is, I didn't choose Him. He chose me. I don't ever get to brag about it. But I also never have to fear that He doesn't choose me. My assurance is resting in His will and not mine. And you, as individuals, you're going to leave here. And I can tell you, I was just talking with some of the guys. But there, there, are, there are wonderful recovery stories that I've seen over the last 8, 10 years. I've seen people come here and meet and get married and have kids and they're living a happy life. Wonderful recovery stories. And I've also seen folks that didn't make it. That went back out and relapsed and died. But the reality is, is that if you, the rest of your life, will rest in the fact that you are God's, that He saved you, that He gave you a new heart, that He forgave you of all of your sins, the ones you committed yesterday, the ones you committed today, and the ones that you're going to commit tomorrow. If you can rest in God's will, then you will have that peace that passes all understanding. If you're in this room today and you're saved, it's because of God's will. And so this is what I want you to do. There may be somebody in this room today who is... You remember how I said at the beginning of the class, the first time I went down the aisle, I was running because I didn't want to go to hell. Right? Well, there may be somebody in this room today who is running here because they don't want to be addicted to drugs anymore or they don't want to go to jail. You see? That's not enough to keep you sober. That's not enough to keep you alive and well. What keeps you alive and well is there's a God who puts every breath that you have in your nose and He loved you enough to send His Son and have Him die on a cross so that you can know life instead of death. And if you're in this room today and you're running from jail and addiction, you need to let go of that because that is our will and turn to His will. And what is His will? Repent. Turn away from the things that you have done in your past. Turn away from the things that you're desiring today that are no good. And turn to what He did on that cross for you. And Jesus has never said no to one person who willingly came to Him. He says it this way in John 6. He says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and I will not cast a single one of them out. 
So if you're in this room today and you've never trusted Christ, but you know in your heart that you need to, the reason you know in your heart you need to is because He's at work in your life and He's calling you to Him. And all you have to do is respond. How do you respond? You lay your will down, you lay your heart down, you lay your desires down, and you turn to what He wants for you. And what is that? Peace that passes all understanding. Forgiveness from your sins. Life everlasting in Him. And it's a beautiful thing to think about. Stop trusting in yourself and trust in Him alone. So with that said, um, I'm going to pass this. Uh, if you'll pass those out. Just, uh, just take one copy. This is basically um, some passages from uh, something known as the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, it's just a creedal statement, a creed, credo. The word credo in Latin means I believe. And so these are statements of what we believe as Baptists. But as you'll see what we're going to get into, the, the words of this creedal statement are not God-breathed. They're not inspired by God. They're inspired by men who, who teach the Bible and who have answered questions over hundreds of years. And they've, they've made these statements to help us with what we know and why we know what we know and what we believe. And so if you look... Um, <clears throat> Y'all are getting on to the back. As soon as y'all get a pastor, I will start reading. The first statement, y'all got them? Y'all keep going? All right. The first statement says this. God has endued the will of man with that natural liberty and power of acting upon choice that is neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. Let's read that again. God has endued the will of man with that natural liberty and the power of acting upon choice that is neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. So what is that saying? God gives us choice. We have free creaturely choice. Every one of you that are in this room today are here hopefully because you chose to come and be a part of this class. All right? Every one of us have free creaturely will. We make choices every day. Am I going to have a donut when snack time comes? Or am I going to go outside and smoke a cigarette? Or am I just going to go sit in the corner and read my Bible? Right? I would suggest that reading the Bible donuts are bad for you. So cigarettes, right? But I would like donuts because I have coffee. Okay? So we make choices every day. And I want you to think about the choices that have got you in the chair that you have gotten into. Because here's the truth of the matter. Your will... Is the problem. Your choices are the problem, not the answer. Think about willpower. Think about on January 1st when you make all of these New Year's resolutions. I will not smoke anymore. I will not. Uh, I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. I will do this. I will start thinking nice thoughts and not cussing anymore. We make all of these, these decisions that we're going to do this this year. And how do they, they work out? They don't work out. Yeah, because here's the reality. I. I is the problem, and I choose. And the reality is, in our fallen nature, we always choose wrong. This year, my New Year's resolution got me here. A New Year's resolution got you here? All right. Well, hopefully the power and grace of God will keep you. Amen? Right. Right? So... Does God use our choices? We're going to see that now. That's it. I'm glad you brought that up because with the passage of Scripture we're going to look at here, we're going to see where God uses our creaturely choices the decisions we make and turns them for our good and His glory. 
Let's look at um, let's look at a couple of them there. Let's look at that James one fourteen passage. James one fourteen. I'm gonna have y'all turn to a bunch of scriptures tonight if we have time, okay? James one fourteen. And let's look and see what that says. James one fourteen says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away, enticed and enticed by his own lust, by his own desires. So God is not a tempter. We are tempted by our own lust. We can't blame God, right? And really, we can't blame the devil because the devil, we, we, the devil is one of our enemies. But we give him all the tools to work with, don't we? It's our lusts and desires that he plays on. So, when I can come to the conclusion that my choices are the problem and not the answer, then I start realizing that the reason my willpower always fails is because I'm doing what I want to do. Right? Why is a person why does a person do drugs? Because they want to be high. And we can get all philosophical and say they want to escape the realities of life. We can do whatever you want to talk about. But the truth of the matter is, why do you smoke? Why do you drink? Why do you cuss? Why do you do the things that you do? It's because that's what we want to do. My words, my thoughts, and my actions are a direct expression of my will. And there's no way to get away from that. Now, let's look at another passage. Let's look at Deuteronomy 30.19. All the way back to the end of the Bible. Deuteronomy 30.19. Everybody there? It says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So do what? Choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Right? How did that work out for the nation of Israel? They had a choice. What's the whole story of the Old Testament? That they failed. And God comes down and finds them in their failure and He forgives them and restores them and sets them back up on the rock. And what do they do? As soon as He sets them up, they fall back down again. They fall right on their face. Alright? So, look what it said. Choose life for you and your descendants. Do you remember what the Pharisees said when they were trying to cruci- when they were about to crucify Jesus? When they were saying crucify Him. He said, you, what did Pilate say? He said, you want me to release this murder and crucify an innocent man and what do they say let his blood be on our hands and on the hands of our descendants the author of life was standing in front of them and what do they say kill him that was their choice and that choice is a reflection of a choice that was made by even adam and eve in the garden they chose to turn away from god and when you turn away from God, you are turning away from light to darkness. You are turning away from death, uh, life to death. You are turning away from love to hate, right? You are turning away from peace to chaos. When you turn away from God, you find darkness, death, hate, and lies and destruction. When you turn back to Him, you turn away from the darkness, death, hate, and lies. You turn to Him, what do you find? Life and life everlasting. So look with me. Let me just say, let me emphasize that a bit. Turn to Acts 3.15. Acts 3.15. I want to... He was already there. 
Let's look what it says in Acts 3.15. It said, we'll start in 13, uh, 13. The God of Abraham, this is Acts 3.13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decide, had decided to release him. But you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact that we are witness to. See what he's saying? The prince of life was standing before you and you chose death over him. Alright, flip one page over to uh, Acts 4. And look at chapter uh, 4.27. Alright, this will give you something to think about. It says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servants Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence. So what did he say? He said, all of you were gathered here today and you did with your hands what was predestined to occur. So did, did the crucifixion of Jesus catch God by surprise? No. The prophets of the Old Testament show us that he already knew what was going to happen. So his father was not in heaven pulling his hair out going, oh no, I didn't expect this. God took wicked and evil men, fallen Adam, and crucified Jesus with him. God allowed that to happen. He predetermined that it was going to happen. But God also used the free will of men to do it. Remember, what does He do? He turns us over to ourselves. And again... The vessel, a vessel of mercy, when turned upon themselves, is going to turn back to God. A vessel of wrath is going to turn away from God. You see how that works? Now, again, when it comes to predestinate, that, that's just a, a term and a, and a concept that is so far beyond mine and your ability to grasp it that you're treading on dangerous ground when you're talking about that kind of stuff. God has predetermined everything that's going to take place. But God did not save you based on a foreseen faith in you. It wasn't like when Jesus died on the cross, He said, well, I'm going to die and pay for Timothy's sins because I see one day He's going to believe on me, so I'll die for Him. It was God's choice to send His Son to die for His people on that cross. And God said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And He died on that cross for His vessels of mercy. And so here's what happens. The Gospel proclamation goes out to all of the world and to His sheep what happened? When the Gospel is proclaimed, what does His sheep do? What does it promise? They hear, they hear His voice. And they respond to Him. Why? Because they are His sheep. You see? And we can rest in that fact that God, God already knows what's going to happen. That message goes out, and what happens? The Spirit of God opens the ears of people when they hear. He changes their hearts. 
He gives them the ability to receive and believe Him in a way that they could never do on their own. A way that they would never choose. Had God not went into the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Adam and Eve would have died with those fig leaves covering their nakedness. They would have never turned back to God. And the same thing can be said for you. Now, we all have different kind of fig leaves, don't we? We all have different kind of ways that we try to cover up our nakedness and our insufficiencies and our loneliness and our sadness and our depression and our fear and our anxiety and our unbelief. We all have our own leaves that we try to cover that up with. But God will expose it. He'll turn you over to that. Why? So that you'll turn to Him. You'll stop trusting in yourself and you'll trust in Him. So let's look at that next passage. So you'll see what it said. God endued the will of man with natural liberty, the power of acting upon choice that is neither forced nor by any necessity of nature determined to do good or evil. He gives us free creaturely choice. Now, in the second paragraph, it says this. Man, in his state of innocency, had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but yet was unstable so that he might fall from it. Well, that's a statement there. Look at it again. Man in his state of innocency. When has man been in his state of innocency? That's a really tough word. Before the apple. Before the well, we don't know for the apple, but Whatever. yeah, before he ate the fruit. That was when he was in a state of innocence. The moment that he bit that and handed it to Adam, and Adam took the fruit and ate it, they stepped out of. You know what happened? They knew the difference in good and evil. The moment they bit into that fruit, and the devil promised them that was what would happen. We're going to look at that in just a second, by the way. Yes, ma'am. So. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Right. What was the problem with that? Is there there anything wrong with taking advice from your wife, guys? No. No. But what was the problem with the voice of his wife? The voice of his wife was overruling what God had said. Right. And she was just echoing the voice of the serpent. So the reality is that God never blamed Eve for it. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Never he gave Adam those instructions. He said, he said, he blamed Adam because Adam was the head. Right. And not only that, for you guys in the room that want to blame Eve, here's the reality. Where did right? Because we all do it. I mean, there wouldn't be such thing as the blues and country music if it wasn't for some woman tearing our life up, right? It's always it's always Eve's fault. But here's the reality. Where did Eve come from? She's an expression of who he is. She's a direct expression of him. We created Huh? Yeah. But God did not make the covenant with the woman. He made the covenant with the man. That's why the devil separated them and got played on her part. Well, because when she ate of the apple, nothing happened. Right. But well, when he went out, no, she was, she was going to die. When he ate of it, that's when the covenant was broken. Right. But they they were one. Um, if you remember in the story of Job, y'all remember when Job's wife said, "Just cuss God and die." Well, the reality was is that. The devil was turned loose to kill everything that Job had. Except who? Him. Him. Why didn't his wife die? Because in God's eyes, the two were one. Right, because they're in the he, 
she was in the covenant with with him. They were both of one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the husband shall leave his um, mother, father, and cling to his wife. They shall be one. The two shall be one flesh. So they were one flesh. And so, uh, uh, you know, we can all blame. And that's what they do here. We're going to see that in just a second. Let's turn there and look. But first, before that, go to Ecclesiastes 7.29 and let's look at that. Now, remember the book of Ecclesiastes is written by who? Uh, most More than likely Solomon, right? King Solomon wrote it. And it's a book of... Basically what it is is Solomon went out and did everything. He went out and got PhDs and master's degrees in philosophy and, and theology and and uh, all kind of wisdom and he went out and partied he went out and did everything that the world had to offer and all it did was leave him empty and full of vanity and so he writes about that he writes about the fact that there's nothing under this sun that will give him the fulfillment that only god can but look what he says and somebody read that for me because i didn't turn there ecclesiastes 7 29 what does it say Okay, it says basically what it says is God created man upright, but he man has sought another path. Right? God created Adam and Eve right, and instead of going the right path, Adam and Eve chose to trust in themselves instead of God, and they brought destruction not only upon themselves, but upon their entire uh the all of mankind. Right? Think about that. Have you ever thought about the fact that Adam you know, your parents, uh, a lot of us in this room have had parents that struggle with alcohol and drugs, and we just reflect, it's a monkey see, monkey do world. We just reflect what we see, right? And the reality is, can you imagine the amount of, of hurt and pain that's brought upon your parents seeing their sins played out in your life? You ever thought about that? Yes. Right? Well, what about this? Have about, live for a thousand years and see your great, 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 great grandkids causing wars and killing one another and slitting each other's throats. And realizing it was because you chose to turn from God and bite a piece of fruit that you brought death upon not only you and your wife, but on all your kids. Yeah. God has turned man over to his own crookedness so that he can know how crooked he really is. And again, until you truly get to rock bottom, you'll never turn and trust him. And... Another reality is is that some people never turn and trust Him. Some people die. That's exactly right. Because God pours His wrath out on those who refuse to turn Him. God is a serious God. He's not playing around. Right? How many of us would be able to stand before Him one day and say, remember that time you were in the, uh, in the ER with all of those tubes in you and, you and you were on a breathing machine and were about dead? And I kept breath in your nose and allowed you to live? You remember that? Mm-hmm. And then what is he going to say? What, what did you do with that breath that I gave you? Wasted it. And we're going to stand before him one day, all of us, even though we're forgiven for our sins, we're going to answer for the life that he's given. We're going to answer for every thought, every word, every feeling, every action we've ever had. What, As a child of God, what have you done with the gift of grace that he's given you? And we're all going to stand before him one day and answer that. Now, that's not to guilt anybody. Christ died to pay for our sins. Sin is unbelief and unwillingness to do what He asks us to do. But the truth of the matter is, you have the responsibility and accountability. He's given you breath. He's given you ability. He's given you life. And what are you going to do with it? Are you going to trust in yourself or are you going to trust Him? And so let's look at that. God created man upright, but man has sought out his, his own path. A crooked path. Let's look at that Genesis 3, 6 passage. 
generally for, for new students in the Bible, the fall of Adam and Eve is usually a story that most people are familiar with. But look in Genesis, let's look at Genesis um, 3 and verse 6. All right? Well, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and she ate it and she gave some to her husband who was with her. So the reality is that Adam knew exactly what she was doing and he stood right there and let her do it. He was standing right there. Well, it wasn't like he was all somewhere else in the garden. Yeah. Right? But So what did he say? The serpent said to the woman, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees out here? So what was the first thing that the devil got Eve to question? What God said. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from all these trees out here? Oh no, we can eat from all these trees. We just can't eat from that one tree. Because if we eat from that tree, we'll surely die. You're not going to die. God knows that the day that you eat from that tree, your eyes will be open, you'll know the difference between good and evil, and you're going to be just like Him. And He doesn't want that. So what did the devil do? The devil got Adam and Eve to question God, he got Adam and Eve to doubt God, and he got Adam and Eve to turn from God. Isn't it safe to say he told them the truth? And he, he got them to exercise their He told them two-thirds of what he said was true. Your eyes will be open. You'll know the difference in good and evil, and you're going to be just like God. So you're going to be just like God. You might have skewed it, but it wasn't true. Yeah. He always do perversity. He always perverse yeah. everything. But, but wasn't 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 Eve was not even born yet or made yet when God commanded Adam not to eat of the tree. Eve was not even brought into the picture yet. God commanded Adam not to eat of the tree. Then He made Eve. So Eve didn't never even know not to eat of the tree. That's why the serpent told you that. That's what it says right in the Bible, right here. You go back up to her response. To her response. Hold up. You go back up to Hold up. The serpent said to the woman. Two sixteen. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you okay. shall not eat. For in that day that you shall, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him my help. Okay, and then in chapter 3, 2, it says, The woman said to the servant, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, somebody told her that. She had to know somehow. Who said that? He had to because nobody else was there. Yeah, it was just him and Adam. So he, he told her. He knew what she was doing. She knew what she was doing. Right? So, I mean, she knew. She knew exactly what she was doing. But it says, what it says was that she was deceived. The reality is Adam was not deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Because she bit into that fruit and she didn't drop dead. He said, oh, give me some of that. Right? He's just like us. Oh, let me, let me try that. Okay. So, when we think about this, it says man and his innocence had freedom. But guys, I want to tell you this, this is the honest truth. When Adam and Eve bit into that fruit, they lost their choice. They lost the ability to choose good. They turned from God and they turned to the lie. And when they bit that fruit, all of the promises that God had promised them took place. Their eyes were open, they knew the difference between good and evil. They were nothing like God. And they would die. And they carried that death around with them for a thousand years. Or, or Adam carried it with him almost a thousand years. Right? And he witnessed it in all of his children. He saw the animals dying. He saw the fruits of the trees dying because they were kicked out of the garden 
and kept away from the tree of life, and they were kicked out of the garden. And they saw that they saw the rest of their life. They saw what their decision had brought upon them. And then the reality is, but instead of turning to God, what did they do? They ran to the trees and covered their neck. And it was God who came to them. And it was God who promised them that one day, Eve, you're gonna you meant you screwed it up, Eve. But one day, through the pain and the suffering of childbearing, you're going to have a child that is going to save you from this choice that you made. And that's going to be my choice is what God was saying. I'm going to choose to send a son into the world who's going to save you from this. Because you can't do it yourself. Because you refuse to trust me. Because you gave in to the temptation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you would not trust me. I'm going to do something to save you. And when people get saved, guys, it's like... You, you never read in the newspaper about fire, uh, old lady races in the building and saves two firemen from burning building. You know, or uh, lifeguard, uh, drowning man saves lifeguard. It doesn't work that way, does it? When you're drowning and can't swim, it's the lifeguard who jumps in and pulls you out. And the only thing that you do, the only thing that you should be doing with a lifeguard when he dives in to save you is what? Breathe. Corroborate. Don't fight him. Like, let him get you out of the water. Right? And it's the same way with God. Yeah. Just trust Him. Trust His promises. Trust His Word. And let Him do the work that He'll do. And if you're trusting Him, it's going to show up in your life. The rest of your life is going to show up. Because instead of anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, sedition, and drunkenness, that would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Alright, so, man in his state of infancy had freedom and power to will and to do that which was good and well-pleasing to God, but he was unstable so that he might fall from it. Right? Now, in the third paragraph here, it says, man by his ability, in, uh, man by his fall into a state of sin has wholly lost the ability of will to do any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or prepare himself thereunto. That's a big fancy statement, but basically what's it saying? Man fell in sin, and now that he has fallen in sin and rebellion, he's unable to pull himself out of that sin and rebellion. He can't do it on his own. Not only that, he desires death over life. God left him in that state. So let's think about that. Let's go look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Let's look at that Romans 5, 6. Or actually, let's, I want to go to another one first. Go to Romans um, 3. Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 10 through 18. Romans 3, 10 through 18. There is none righteous, not even one. Now, you might be in this room thinking, yeah, that's everybody else in this room, but it's not talking about me. Right? That's your self-righteousness talking. And you don't have none. You see? It says, there are none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There are none who what? Seek for God. They've all turned aside. Together, they've all become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in their path. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now who's he talking about? All the sons of Adam. 
Who's saying this? Who, who wrote this? Paul. Paul. Now, can somebody tell me when Paul used his free will to come to know Christ? Say it again. When did Paul use his free will to come to Christ? He didn't. What happened to him? He was a murderer. He was the one that he's describing right here in these passages from the Psalms. All of these are quotes from Psalms. He was that guy that was going around murdering people and throwing Christians in jail. And what did God do? He knocked him blind, knocked him off of his horse and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what did he say? Who are you, Lord? He already knew who it was. But it took God knocking him down and blind and showing him what a wicked and cruel man he was before he turned to God. And he didn't give Paul no prosperity message either. He didn't say you're going to have you're going to have a you know a, a bank account full of money and you're going to have health and wealth and prosperity and your life is just going to be good forever and ever from now on. What did he say? You are my chosen vessel to suffer for my namesake. And what did Paul say? Okay, Lord, let's do it. Because Paul had lived a life and saw what self-righteousness and self-sufficiency and self-will would get you. And God stepped in and gave him a new heart. Gave him a new will. Alright? And so, uh, look at Romans um, 8-7. While you're still there, Romans 8-7, look what it says. We'll start in verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Every one of you in this room right now, this very second, are either have a mind of flesh or a mind of Spirit. If you are a child of God, you've been regenerated, you have this, he said, now you have the mind of Christ, right? The Spirit lives in you, you have a new mind, a new way to think, a new way to feel, a new way to will. The mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life be. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. What does it mean to be hostile towards God? Alright. So your buddies right now that's out there in the streets that are still drugging and, and partying and running the streets, they are living a life and their hearts are completely hostile to God. They don't want anything to do with him. And what's so funny is some of them may tell you, oh, well, I do believe in God. I'm just not really walking with Him right now. No, they're not. They are hostile to God. They hate Him. And they're doing whatever they can to keep their fig leaves on and not be exposed and be shown to be naked. And if you're in this room today and you're trusting in your own power, your own will, your own flesh, then you have a mind that's hostile to God too. You have to turn from sin and self and turn to Christ alone. That's the only way to be saved. Right? Okay, so what does he say? He says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. And watch this. For it is not even... What does that say? What does it say? Somebody read that for me. Read 7 again. And it never will. Alright, somebody else got another version of that? Because the carnal mind has enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It can't be. The natural man cannot 
trust God. Will not trust God. Now, you remember the little life lesson you learned in third grade when you asked the teacher if you could, uh, can I go to the bathroom? May I. May I. Right. So what's the difference in can and may? Alright, so if I ask my school teacher, can I go to the bathroom? Right? I, I could go right there on the floor. Yes, I can. The question is, may I? Do I have the permission to do so? And what he just said right there is, the natural man cannot believe God. Remember what he told Nicodemus? Don't be amazed that I tell you, you must be born again. That which is flesh is flesh, and that which is spirit is spirit. And until you are given a spiritual life, you'll never believe him. You must be born again. That's what he said. Yes, ma'am. Another good question. You've asked two good, two good, really good questions that we could do whole classes on. Let's, all right, let's uh, let's turn let's turn to let Paul explain it for us. Turn to Romans seven. Turn, turn to Romans seven. That's right. Sometimes my mind is crazy. Sometimes my mind is spiritual. Does that mean I'm double-minded? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And 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 I'll raise my hand and say the same thing. When I trust in myself, I fail. When I trust in Him, I'm victorious. And the rest of my life is going to be about learning to die to self and live to Christ. The whole entire rest of my life is going to be about me learning to stop doing what I want to do and trust what He wants from me. Your will be done on earth and heaven. So look at that Romans 7 passage. It says, um, let me get there. Alright, Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very things that I hate. If I do the very things I do not want to do, I agree with the law that confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Right? So there's a battle going on between sin and the new man that he is. He has a willingness to do the right thing, but sin keeps coming in and tripping him up and trying to keep him from doing the right thing. It says, For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. This is verse 18. For the willing is present, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. That sounds like a double-minded man, does it? It sounds like addiction. Uh, good. It, it does sound like addiction. Because addiction is a direct expression of, of the... I don't even know why I'm smoking this deal. Right. The, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Because addiction is a direct expression of the bondage of sin. Yeah, that's right. You hear people say that God doesn't give... God, God gives everybody free will because He doesn't want robots. Have y'all heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. He don't want me to just be a puppet. Well, I got news for you. Unless He saves you, you are going to remain a robot or a slave to sin. If He saves you, He sets you free to be His slave. And the slaves of God are free. He will set you free and you will be free indeed. So addiction or the sin nature. There's a battle going on all the time in there. Look what He says. 
uh, verse uh, 21, I find then the principle uh, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Now, let me sum this up for us real quick because I do want to try to get these last two statements. The reality is, is there's a battle going on inside of Paul. And the reason that there is a battle is because he wants to do good. What did Paul just say a couple of passages before that? The mind that is in the flesh cannot do the things that are good. So why is there a battle going on in him? Because he is a new creation in Christ and the old man is trying to drag him back into the grave. So what is the difference in me now as opposed to me 18 years ago struggling in drugs and addiction and, and all kind of things? What's the difference? I struggle now. There's not a single one of you men in it. I can't speak for one because I've never been a woman so, and never hope to be one, right? <laughs> but the reality is there's not a single one of you men in this room are not going to struggle with lust the rest of your life. Amen. The difference is a child of God struggles with it. Whereas before there was no struggle. That's exactly right. You embraced it. You were a slave to it. You did exactly what it told you to do. You see the difference? And not only that, but the struggle is there so that I will stop trusting in me and trust in Him. You leave me alone in a house with a computer screen... Flesh mode. Yeah, and the reality is that's a battle. It's a struggle. Now, what you'll find is is that the devil's good. He'll find the things that you struggle with, and and he'll make them available all the time. But the difference is is that what what I find now different than me twenty years ago is now some of my strugglers are are in different areas than what they were before. Right. So I've overcome, through Christ, I've overcome some things that I used to succumb to. But now there's other things now that I'm succumbing to that I didn't before. The, God is allowing me to see what my will gets me. God is allowing me to see what my choices are going to present and create. And the true child of God has finally given up on self and is trusting in Him alone. Amen? All right, let me read these last two passages for you. Um, I do want to encourage you. Um, I hope that this causes all of you to have something to think about. And I do hope that you'll go and read these passages of Scripture, if not the statement, but the passage of Scripture for yourself and see what they say to you. Because it's God's Word that changes it. But look what it says First, uh, in that fourth passage. When God converts a sinner, what is it called? What is conversion called? What's another word for conversion? Regeneration. Being born again, right? That's what it means to be converted. To be born again. When God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, He frees him from... All right, what's the opposite of the state of grace? You told me you was from the state of Maine, right? I am. What would be the opposite of the state of Maine? Florida, California. California, yeah. Southern California. What, what would be the opposite of the state of grace? If God is not pouring His grace on you, what will He pour on you? Wrath. So you're either in a state of grace or a state of wrath. You were children of wrath is what Ephesians tells us, right? But when God saves you, you are now in a state of grace. All right.
Now, my, my Catholic buddy back here, he's smiling. They have a statement called state of grace, right? right? Right. When you get baptized, you're in a state of grace, and then as you sin, you got to go to the priest and, and pray and ask him to... you got to do penance to get back into that state of grace. And as long as they're venial sins and not mortal sins, you can get them cleared up. Like there, There's a way to work around. But a state of grace means that I am in God's grace. That's what it means to be in a state of grace. So when God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he frees him from his natural bondage under sin and by his grace alone enables him freely to do what? Will and to do that which is spiritually good. So once God converts you, you are now able to do those things that are good. You see how that works? He sets you free. He turns you from darkness, death, hate, and light and turns you back to His life, light, love, and truth. And now you have the desire and the will to walk in truth again. Yet so that by reason of His, of his remaining corruptions, He does not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but does that which is evil. That's the struggle. That's the battle. That's what He's talking about right here. So what happens? God sets you free to become the person He created you to be instead of the person that sinned caused you to be and now you have the will and the ability to walk in a newness of life instead of in 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 the old death and trespassing and sin so he sets you free to will and to do that which is right okay last passage and then we're done this will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only what does that mean Somebody help me out with that. That's a, that. Is that a tough statement? The will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to do good alone in the state of glory only. Basically, uh, your, will be done. Your, your will be done. Yes. When am I when am I going to be able to perfectly do everything that's good and not ever? Yeah, you're, 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 we never die again. We're, we're, we have eternal life. Yeah, when we're glorified. When we get a new body and a new heaven and a new earth. Right? Death is the last thing it's got to overcome. And then and so one day we're gonna get a new body that doesn't have those is not tainted with sin anymore. We're gonna be of the seed of Christ. And we're gonna be a given a body like the body of the resurrected Christ instead of the body of Adam. Now we're still gonna have a human body. We're not gonna walk around looking like aliens or anything. Right? They recognized Jesus when he rose from the dead. They knew what he looked like. He ate fish. He hung out with them and talked. But the reality was is that our resurrection body is going to be different than our earthly body. Yeah. I think I'm going to honestly believe that I can eat all the blueberry ice cream I want and there I don't get fat. I can eat all the bad food that I want and not have to worry about getting. You know, we don't have to get laughing. Huh? We don't have to get laughing. <laughs> get a what? Lap band. Lap band surgery. Oh, lap band surgery. Yeah, I, I know somebody said that. Yeah. yeah, we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to worry about it. Because we can eat or we don't have to eat. But we have a new body, and that body, not what. So here's what's going to happen. When God recreate, when God regenerates you and gives you a new heart, when you become His child and become a believer, you now have eternal life within you. The problem is it's encased in eternal death. <laughs> Right, that, that old dead body that's dead in trespass and sin is going to die. It's, all of us are going to die the way to sin. But one day you will get a new body to go along with the new spirit that you are on the inside. Amen. And I can't wait, and I can't wait to meet. I, I can't wait to meet all of my my 
loved ones that have gone on before me and all of these people that I've read about in the Bible, I can't read. I, I want to meet Samson and be like, yo, man, I, like, I sympathize with you, dude. Like, yeah. You know, I'm going, I, I can't wait to meet Samson and hang out with him. Huh? Paul? Yeah, I, I can't wait to meet everybody. My, my eternal family. And I'm going to have a new body that doesn't sin. Huh? <laughs> yeah. The problem is, the problem. Remember, so he said, "I'm going to talk to Adam." Then his fault, and I'm suffering. But the reality is, you are a direct expression of him. If you'd have been in the garden, you'd have been given the choice. You'd have ate the fruit too, because yeah. you're you're a chip off the old block. Amen. All right, well, for those of you who are new, it's really nice to meet you guys. For you, those of you who have been here a while, I hope that this gives you some things to think about. I do. I try to come here and challenge y'all and make y'all think about what y'all are reading and know what you know and why you know it. Believe what you believe because the Word of God says it. Definitely All right, let's close. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we've had together tonight. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for reaching down and saving us. Thank you for... Uh, giving us the hope and peace that comes uh, with knowing your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I do pray if there be a man or a woman here today uh, or within the sound of my voice that has never trusted you, I pray that your your will will be done and that if it's your will for them to know you, that you would open their heart and their eyes and their mind and help them to hear your truth, receive your truth, and believe your truth. Help them to know you as the good shepherd. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.